Who do you say I am? Well, Jesus, that question you asked of Peter all those years ago is that same question you ask each of us this morning. Who do you say? Who do we say that you are? And we pray that as we uh, explore it this morning, the next few moments, we explore what that means for each one of us. Uh, You would shine your light on your words and on our hearts and give us grace to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leaving school, passing your driving test, getting married, turning 50, retiring. Life is full of turning points, isn't it? Once you've passed those milestones, uh, they change things forever. You can't go back. You can't not have passed your driving test. You can't not be 50, however much you might want to. You can't go back to work very easily at least. Uh, Life is full of turning points. Once we get past them, things are never the same again. Uh, The reason I'm starting with the idea of turning points is because in many ways this passage that we've just had read marks a turning point for Jesus, for his life, for his ministry, and it's also a turning point in Mark's account of it. Uh, If you've been with us over the uh, last few weeks, you'll know we've been looking through Mark's account of the life of Jesus. Uh, And so far, Mark has been showing us Jesus coming into our world and demonstrating his authority as God's king. He's overthrown evil. He's overthrown sickness. He's overthrown sin. Everything that stands opposed to God and his purposes. And he's done it to the amazement of everyone who's been watching. And yet from this point on, things are going to change. It's going to get a lot darker. The focus shifts, and the opinion, actually, of the crowd starts to shift as well. It is a turning point. It's a turning point for Mark as the gospel writer. It's a turning point for Jesus, the subject of his gospel. And I want to draw out for us uh, this morning uh, three simple signs to explore that Mark gives us to highlight Uh, that shift, that turning point that this passage is. Uh, And the very first one is that uh, it's a confession. A confession. If you type, uh, who is Jesus, into Google, you will get a whole range of answers. Uh, So uh, let me give you a sample. Uh, Time magazine described Jesus as this, uh, the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness and love in human history. Uh, Albert Einstein described Jesus as luminous. That's a great description, isn't it? Luminous. Uh, Even Richard Dawkins, no friend of Christianity, has acclaimed Jesus as amazingly charismatic. Uh, Former Soviet leader uh, Mikhail Gorbachev uh, described Jesus as the first socialist. And yet, just last year, there was a book published in the States acclaiming Jesus as the inventor of capitalism. There are many, many different opinions as to who Jesus is and what he came to do. And some of them are completely contradictory, as uh, we can see. And we get a flavour from uh, the the, the different responses that Jesus Jesus, uh, provoked uh, from the first part of our passage. It was true, it's true now, and it was true then, when Jesus first uh, walked the earth. Uh, Let me give you some context. Jesus has just uh, performed a dramatic healing, giving sight to a blind man. Uh, And he's travelled northwards to uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is sort of towards the Syrian border, if you want to uh, get your uh, your geography right. Exactly what's on his mind, 
We don't fully know. But on the way, he asks the question that everything so far in Mark's Gospel has been building up to. Who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Not surprisingly, the disciples give him a variety of answers. They didn't need to go to Google. They just had to listen to what the crowds had been saying. Uh, There were many ideas about what Jesus had come for. Uh, To us, when we look through, to us today, when we look through some of the responses the disciples give, they look a bit odd. And yet, actually, I think if we look at them uh, more closely, they're more familiar than we might at first uh, appreciate. Let's have a quick look at them, shall we? Uh, The first opinion that the disciples pick out uh, is that some people say that Jesus is John the Baptist, verse uh, 28, the forerunner, the one who came before the Messiah. Of course, by now, uh, John the Baptist had been killed. I don't think they were literally meaning that Jesus was sort of some kind of John the Baptist reincarnated. I think probably what they meant was that they saw in Jesus a reflection of that spiritual power, that purity, that integrity that John the Baptist was renowned for. Remember John the Baptist? He went out in the desert uh, preaching uh, baptism and repentance. He was a man who was known for his spiritual power and his integrity. In other words, their assessment of Jesus was that he was a deeply spiritual man, a holy man, an ascetic, different from the others, of course, but he didn't go anything more than that. Holy man, maybe deeply spiritual, but he wasn't more than that. What are the other uh, things they say about him? Well, they say that he was Elijah, or he was uh, one of the the prophets. Of course, you remember, Elijah was one of the great figures of uh, Israel's history. He'd come dramatically onto the scene at a particular low point in uh, the life of uh, God's people. Uh, calling them dramatically to come back to God and to, uh, to turn back to him. Uh, we're also uh, Malachi, the prophet Malachi, uh, predicted that, uh, that he would come again before the Messiah. So it's not surprising that some people uh, sort of conflated the two and thought that Jesus might be uh, associated with Elijah. Uh, you can see the parallels, can't you? Jesus, yes, he came. He had a dramatic ministry. He was uh, uh, full of, uh, did amazing uh, wonders. Uh, was a powerful preacher, had unusually prophetic insights. And perhaps that's what people thought of him. He was a prophet. Yes, he was a pretty good one, a powerful prophet. But he wasn't anything more than that. Then as now, we see the world forming its opinions of Jesus. A holy ascetic, but nothing more. Wise prophet, nothing more. Maybe those assessments are assessments you share this morning. Perhaps if somebody asked you that question, uh, who is Jesus, you would give something, uh, an answer somewhat in line with that. And yet the problem is that they're only half true. There is a measure of truth in them, but it's not the whole truth. Only Peter's confession captures the full truth. And what does he say when he's asked, who do you say I am? You are the Christ. Jesus isn't a martyr. He's not a magician. He's not a man of letters full of wisdom and uh, and wise words. He is the Messiah, the Christ. He's God's King who has come to reign. He's come to rescue his people from their sin. Finally, what Mark has been pointing to all along is seen. The first sign that this passage is a turning point 
is this confession, this confession of Jesus, of Peter, that you are the Christ. And to everyone this morning, Jesus asked that same question that he asked of Peter. He asked it of me. He asked it of you. Who do you say that I am? And from each one of us, he looks for that same response that Peter gave. You are the Christ. Uh, Let me ask you, how would you answer it this morning? What would you say? Who is Jesus? Let's look at this second uh, sign that we have as a turning point. Uh, And the second sign is simply a cross. second sign is a cross. Uh, Hot on the heels of uh, Peter's confession is another sign. Uh, Jesus says not only who he is, but why he has come. Uh, Just as there were many ideas around at the time about who Jesus was, so too there were many ideas about uh, what he was going to do. Uh, So for years, Judah had been bullied by foreign oppressors. uh, The Syrians, the Greeks, the Romans, you name it, they'd come and been bullied. Uh, And many people in Israel were dreaming of that great day. When a Messiah figure would come, he would raise a mighty army, he'd drive away all the oppressors and the invaders forever. Uh, On a similar note, uh, through the centuries, the Jews had found themselves dispersed across uh, the globe. Sometimes that had been their own choice, but at other times that had been by force. And so there are others at this time who were looking for this great political leader who was going to come, this political Messiah, somebody who was going to come and they'd establish a sort of renewed Jewish homeland where the Jews could be one people again and they could, uh, could, could live in peace and security. Still more, we're hoping that the Messiah would come. He'd be a charismatic religious figure. He could come and he could revive Israel's spiritual life that seemed so dry uh, and, and dead. And Jesus' words reveal that he has a very, very, very different agenda to any of those things. Far from being the triumphant hero cresting in on a wave of popular enthusiasm. Instead, he will suffer and be rejected at the hands of those very, very people who should have recognised and welcomed him. Verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Already Mark has been hinting at the unease that Jesus has been causing the religious elite the way he doesn't seem to be conforming to their agenda, the way he's so popular. What's going on here? Who is he? And what has he come for? Jesus' words not only predict it, but they say it's going to get worse. It's not only going to become uncomfortable, uh, ultimately it's going to lead to Jesus being killed. He must be killed and after three days rise again. The king who comes to his people will be killed by them like a common criminal. If it sounds shocking to us, we can imagine just how shocking it seemed to the disciples uh, when they first heard it. It's no wonder, is it, that Peter takes Jesus aside and says, you've got it wrong. (laughs) Uh, You've got it wrong. Uh, How can this be? That's not what the Messiah does. The Messiah doesn't get killed, doesn't get, get, uh, get executed. What are you on about? You're supposed to come in triumph. He must have got it wrong. And yet, behind Peter, I think honest concern... Jesus sees something darker, doesn't he? He sees the hand of Satan himself, the hand of the adversary, just as he was there in the desert at the start of Jesus' ministry, trying to tear him away from the path that was set out for him. Jesus knew that there could never be the crown 
without the cross. An old preacher uh, put it like this. You'll know if you know your London underground. The way to Mansion House is always by a king's cross. You can never have the crown without the cross. Uh, we can sense the urgency, the imperative that Jesus felt, can't we, from his words. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Uh, Jesus knew that his death and resurrection had to happen. Uh, why? Because it was the fulfilment of God's plan. It, it is what God had always promised would happen to his Messiah. Alongside the picture of a, a powerful king entering the world that seems to have dominated Jesus' thinking and understanding. Uh, there's another Old Testament picture that I think was in his mind as uh, he talks of his mission. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, writing many, many, many years before, uh, speaks of, of a servant of the Lord uh, who will come, he will represent uh, God's people and suffer on their behalf. Uh, familiar words from chapter 53, the climax of his prophet, prophecy. He says this about this servant of the Lord. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. We can uh, join the dots, can't we? Sounds very familiar. But there's more than that, says Isaiah, carrying on. Uh, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is saying that in him, that prophecy, that picture that Isaiah had all those hundreds of years before, finds fulfillment. He is the Messiah, but he is the suffering servant of the Lord, who will die in our place for our sin, to secure peace with God. It had been God's plan right from the very beginning. Like no one else, Jesus was a man born to die. A couple of years ago, um, a friend of mine received a Christmas card. It was quite a funny Christmas card. It had a row of um, uh, mince pies. And then right back in the middle, there was a hot cross bun. It's funny, isn't it? But it actually illustrates the very profound truth which we can so easily forget. Why did Jesus come into the world? What was the purpose of him coming? Uh, the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us uh, when uh, the angel came to Joseph to explain, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The reason Jesus came was to die. It wasn't a tragic accident. The shadow of the cross lay across Jesus' life right from the very, very start. It wasn't a tragic accident. It was the result of his loving, willing submission to the Father's plan and out of love for you and for me. I guess instinctively this morning, most of us are probably with Peter on this. We would rather the cross didn't happen. We don't want the cross. It's a bloody, dusty, sweaty, sordid business, as one writer described it. We would much rather have the coronation. We want Jesus coming in glory, in majesty, to take away all the problems of the world and to be acclaimed. And yet the truth is, that's how it had to be. It had to be the cross. There's an old hymn, isn't there, that we sometimes uh, sing, especially around Easter time, that captures it wonderfully. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates 
of heaven and let us in. It was the only way that a holy God could allow his rebellious people to return to him. If we would be with Jesus, if we would be in his kingdom, if we would be one of his people, we have to, if we want to make it to Mansion House, we have to travel via King's Cross. What's the third uh, sign for us? This is a turning point. The third sign is uh, very simply the call. There is a call. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Ernest Shackleton's famous Times advert recruiting for his Antarctic expedition a long, long time ago. Uh, It read something like this. Uh, Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. You couldn't accuse him of being dishonest, could you? (laughs) You know what you're signing up for if you respond to that advert. And the same actually is true of Jesus. Jesus has uh, has revealed to us who he is. He's revealed to us why he's come. And now he shows us what it means. What does he demand of us? We don't have time to look at everything. But I want to just very simply look at verse uh, 34. And I want to just break it down for us. Uh, Jesus says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I think there are three things, aren't there, that Jesus says here that uh, responding to him requires of us. Uh, Firstly, he calls us to deny ourselves. Uh, He's not talking about giving up chocolates or Angry Birds or Facebook or something else that we probably think we spend too much time with and we we shouldn't be doing something else. Uh, He's not talking about those things. Rather, he is talking about saying no to ourselves. It's about saying no to our sinful, selfish desires, to our self-will, and instead saying yes to God's will, to let him rule in our hearts as Lord and Master, as is his right. Secondly, what does he say? He calls us to uh, take up our cross. The disciples, I think, would have known instantly what he meant. They would have seen the procession of condemned criminals making their way uh, to the place of execution, bearing on their backs the heavy uh, wooden cross. They would have known what it meant. And indeed, for Jesus' first followers, for those who first heard this, uh, it really did literally mean following Jesus in his death. Uh, Virtually all of them uh, were, were killed for being followers of Jesus. For many today, across uh, the world, in other lands, this is what it means, literally, to follow Jesus uh, in his death. Uh, For us in the West, we tend to trivialise a bit, don't we? We say if somebody has their cross to bear, what we really mean is they've got chillblains or something like that. It's something a little bit trivial. It's not really a big deal, but they have their cross to bear and they bear it and it's stiff upper lip and all that sort of thing. But it means something much more than that. Uh, Even in the West, we are called to die with Jesus. We can die in a number of ways, can't we? We can die when we bear the shame of being counted with Jesus, when somebody in the office sneers at us for believing in uh, Jesus. Uh, We can die uh, in ourselves. Uh, Why? Because we can say with St. Paul, we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we believe in Jesus, we're united by him. And and our old self, our sinful self, died with him at Calvary. And we have a new life and a a new beginning. Our old sinful self has died. 
Uh, nobody puts it better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, mastered German theologian. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Looks different for different people. But there's always that note of death. Uh, thirdly, Jesus says, follow me. Follow him wherever he leads. Uh, not looking back, not looking around at what the rest of the world is doing or what the rest of our church is doing, but looking straight at him and where he is leading and where he's gone. It could be a difficult path. In fact, almost certainly it will be a difficult path. We might stumble on the way. We might even, for a time, take the wrong path and then wander back. But Jesus says that is the path to saving our lives. Verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. It is the path to life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as he said elsewhere. And drawing all these truths together, these three truths, is the reality that they are, each of one of them is a choice. You see what Jesus said at the start of that verse? If anyone would, come after me. To follow Jesus is not automatic. Uh, we're not born into a state where we can follow Jesus. Uh, I can't make you follow Jesus. I wish I could, but I can't. Uh, your parents can't make you follow Jesus. Your children can't make you follow Jesus. Your friends can't make you follow Jesus. It's a decision of our hearts and of our minds. It's a decision that only we can make for ourselves. And for each of us this morning, responding to Jesus will look different. Uh, it, will come, it will come about in different ways. Uh, for some of us, it may be that we need to recommit ourselves to following Jesus, wherever he's leading. Perhaps we have been following his path for a long time. Uh, and if we're honest, we've taken our eyes off him. We're looking around at where the world's going. Maybe we're looking back and thinking of how hard it's been and just wondering if we've made the right choice. For some of us this morning, it's going to be recommitting ourselves to following Jesus and his path. Uh, For others of us, making a decision on Jesus this morning uh, means something a bit different. Uh, We're not quite yet ready to follow him. That's okay. But it will mean finding out more about who he is. Is he really the Christ, as we have been saying, as Peter said? Did he really die on the cross all those years ago? What difference does that death and that resurrection make for you and I today, 2,000 years ago? For some of you, it will, make, it will mean deciding to uh, seek that out once and for all, to make a decision on who is Jesus. And yet I sense that there's another group of people here uh, this morning. I think there are some people for whom they know that actually this morning is the time they need to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. You know that he is the Son of God. You know that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the Bible promised You know that he came to die that death that you should have died. He bore the punishment that you and I deserved. And that he's calling you to follow him today. He's put his finger on your heart. Uh, And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave a moment for us to be silent and to work out just where we fit and what our response is. Uh, And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to lead the people, particularly in that third category, those who want to respond to Jesus for the first time are going to uh, lead us in a prayer. Uh, and if, if, that, if that, that says something of where you're at this morning, then let me encourage you to echo it in your own heart as well. So let's have a moment to be still, just to uh, let the Lord speak to us, and then I'll pray.
So if that's you making your decision (coughs) this morning, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, living for myself and not for you. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and that you died on the cross for my sins, bearing the judgment that I deserved. I want to live for you with your help. I come to you and receive you in my heart as my Saviour, Master and God, now and forever. Amen. Maybe you did pray that prayer for the very first time. Uh, And if that was true, uh, let me encourage you to tell somebody. You can tell me, I'll be standing at the end, and I'd love to hear from you. If you can't face speaking to me, there's going to be some lovely people down at the end of the service who are going to be in the corner, and they would love to hear from you and talk through uh, what that means for you. Maybe you've got other uh, things that you want to pray about. Do take advantage of that. Uh, This chapter marks a turning point in the narrative of Mark's Gospel, but critically in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's also a turning point for us as well, if we've grasped what it means. What does Jesus say? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Amen.